and welcome to yet another episode of Girl Source Chat. This episode is very special to me as I was thrilled to chat with one of my favorite lecturers from my polytechnic days who had a huge impact on me. She is an actress, host, educator, writer, and a mother to two beautiful daughters. This woman truly does it all, and she is none other than Sharon Ismail. In this episode, we discuss what inspires her and how she manages to wear so many different hats. So without further ado, let's hear from Sharon herself. You are a woman of many talents and you wear many hats from a lecturer, actress, host, writer, and a mother. How do you manage it all? Well, most days I don't do everything all at once. You know, (laughs) there's only a couple of things I can do in a day. Um, What's at the very base of all of that, the bedrock of it all is I'm a mom, you know? whatever job I have outside, whatever my role is outside of the house, I'm always mom to my two girls. And I think that's what keeps me grounded because I know I'm raising two young women who will, through me, see one of the first examples of what it's like to be a woman, what it's like to be a woman in Singapore, what it's like to be a minority woman, uh, a woman with a career, as well as you know, children and a husband. So I hope they see all of it, you know, the struggles, the, the madness, uh, the, the joy, the laughter, the sense of humor about it all. Um, so I think that's what keeps me going. It's nice that I have interests that uh, I feel very passionate about and they are in turn, you know, the parallel careers that I've had. I feel very fortunate. Some days I wonder, how I managed to fit all that in, to be honest. Um, But to, well, to be really candid about it, I think I've slowed down. You know, I was a lot more active and on the go when I was in my twenties and before I had my kids. Yeah, yeah, I I think I've always had that, you know, since university, I was teaching when I wasn't in school, when I wasn't on campus, you know, uh, taking classes. So I was already, working at that point in time and then from then on I've always had um two things at least going at one time so I've always had Uh a full-time job and then I do my media stuff outside um I came from a theater background as well when I did that in university so that was again one of those multiple tracks sort of situation going on so I go to school and then I go to rehearsals and then I was trying to work really hard to get a scholarship in Bursary to do my master's. So I was also working on the side. <laughs> so just research. one after the other every day. Uh, yeah. So I don't remember what it was like to have a day off. Um, wow. Yeah. So it, it was fun, though. It was fun because they're just so different. You know, being a research right. assistant was very different from being on stage or rehearsing for a play. And then it's also very different from teaching. So mm-hmm. it kept me going, probably because I didn't like to be bored. Yeah, that makes total sense. But with all these things that you have to juggle, is it difficult for you to switch between your many roles, like going from, you know, lecturing to being on set? How how do you manage that? And how does that make you feel? Despite the madness and the chaos, there is a common through line in that what I teach on campus as an educator feeds into what I do on set and vice versa. I think it makes me a better actor when um, I am not always immersed solely in the acting world and being among actors and being among production people, but I have life experience that is outside of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that helps me tap into whatever facets that I need to tap into for any particular role. 
I think it also makes me a, a better teacher because I'm able to share with my my students what happens on set, what happens in industry, you know, and yeah. with rapid changes, especially in the past two years, how life and industry keep changing. Um, how can I claim to be an educator, a lecturer of value if I don't even know what's happening currently in industry? Like when you teach um, someone something, you learn better. Oh, yes. Yes, you do. Because you've got to find a language for yourself to articulate what you went through and what you saw. And then if the kids don't get it, you've got to find another way to say it. So I find that keeps me on my toes because it makes me question what I thought I knew. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm not afraid to say, you know, hang on, I never thought of that. You just asked a really great question. Let's figure this out. If I don't have the answers, let's look for the answers together. And I think that the kids also know that no one human being will have all the answers yeah. to everything. Yeah. But I think that's what makes you such a great teacher because we never really felt shot down. It was always that, you know, there was a mutual respect and we were learning from you and you were learning from us. And I think that's like the best way for all of us to grow together. So I, I just want to say that I really appreciated um, that part of being your student. And also- Because they come early for me, you know? <laughs> you <laughs> so another question I wanted to ask is how did you discover your many talents and what inspired you to keep expanding and exploring what you could do you know I never saw it as talent I, mm -hmm. I honestly just did what opportunities came my way it was um survival instincts I think from the beginning um when I was a kid I didn't know how to say no so when my teacher said okay uh, Sharon go do storytelling on stage okay you know um Sharon <laughs> okay, you know, and I just didn't know how to say no. Um, so maybe that was a good thing. <laughs> uh, then it pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I think I was also always slightly out of my comfort zone because uh, given my background, I'm, I grew up in a Malay household, but I went to a Chinese school. So my second language was Chinese since I was four. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that was already a little bit out of my comfort zone. You know, I'd speak, right. I'd learn a different language in school. And that was where the social circle, we would play in, in and speak Chinese, even when it's outside of Chinese class. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go home and I'd speak Malay and, and I'd speak English. And so I was always slightly off kilter. I was always thrown into situations yeah. never fully comfortable. Right. Um, so I, I got comfortable with that, you know. Wow. Yeah, so I think now that's why I'm sort of easily bored if things are a little comfortable and it's the same for too long. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so that sort of started it for me. Um, and then it, it just kind of grew into um, saying no, no, not saying no to opportunities because I never knew what adventures it could lead me to. Right. Um, I honestly didn't want to be in theater or acting or, or the media, to be honest. I didn't know what I wanted, but I didn't know that was not what I wanted when I entered university. Right. I was I went to NUS, Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences. I thought, you know, I'd be the typical art student. I, I liked English. I mm -hmm. liked literature. I thought I would take English language and literature. But I ended up going for an audition for the theater studies program. And I got in thinking that, oh, no, that's, that's no way I could get in. But then I got in and I thought, oh, wow, okay, um, let's see where this went. And I thought I would drop it after a year and just major in the other subjects that I took. But I ended up falling in love with it. 
Wow. Even though I knew it was, it was a very hard path. At that time in the 90s, there was no path really right. beyond uh, university theatre studies. Academically, where else could you go? You know, nobody I knew was making a, a decent enough living being a full-time actor or performer. Mm. But I knew I was interested in academia, so I wanted to pursue my master's in performance studies in the UK. Again, it was one of those situations where I thought, you know, I, there's just no way I could get in. I mean, it's it's in London, it's the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. This is the school of like French and Saunders and you know, all the big greats that there is no way, right? Um, but my my director saw something in me. He was one of um, our lecturers in, in NUS. He directed us for our annual production in year three, our final year. And he said, you know, what are your plans after this? Because I think you can go further. And I said, well, in Singapore, that's it. Like, yeah. where else could you go with the yeah. theater studies, um, your Bachelor of Arts, you know, with honors? Sure. But then after that, what? Right. And then he said, go overseas. Then who said it needs to be in Singapore? I said, well, I can't get it. I mean, come on, really. Small girl from Singapore, small town, like who knew? Yeah. Nobody knows me from Adam, right? And he said, just go, go audition. And and I did. So he pushed me to to go and, and I got a place there and I got a place in Rada. I, I was amazed because uh, I was one of 12 students internationally that wow. made it the master's program in, in Central. Then came the question of, now, how am I going to raise the money for this? At that point, the pound was like three times the Singapore dollar. So yeah. I, was, I was really working very, very hard, like hence the research assistant by day, acting by night and whatever else just to raise money uh, to go overseas. So I think that work ethic just kept perpetuating itself yeah so it was all from your attitude of just being like a yes man you just see where life takes you (laughs) I mean I think I think that's quite admirable because you never like you said you never know where your opportunities can take you and you can audition and then you may not get it but you make that connection and your network grows and then where life takes you also grows so I think you did the right thing and look at where you've come out to be well you know joining the dots in hindsight is always much easier you know at the time yeah. I was always questioning myself like, where am I going what am I doing with my life? <laughs> what is this about you know um not realizing not trusting the process that in hindsight the dots would add up they would join a line and it'll be fine so if I tell myself you know that or tell my students that it's okay to not know the whole blueprint of your life I didn't um and just taking one step at a time and figuring it out as you go along yeah and I think that's the problem with a lot of youths today because we just love to plan we keep thinking all right university then masters then first internship then job then marriage, then kids, like we have our whole lives mapped out, but we really never know where it's going to go. So I think you just need to explore and keep like trusting the process of life, I guess. It's hard though, right? Because it's very hard. You don't know what's coming at you. It's very hard to, to, make, to take the next step, I think, especially if you don't have cheerleaders along the way to say, hey, you got this. It's okay. Even if you stumble a little bit, it's, it's fine. You know, you can get back up. I, and I think that's really important if you have a great support system. What advice would you give your children today that you wish someone told you when you were younger? That ambition is not a bad word. That if you like leadership, 
it is not a bad thing, especially if you're a woman and if you're a woman of, uh, you know, minority. Ambition is really something, if you have, go for it, you know. Um, you can second guess yourself, I suppose, for, let yourself second guess yourself for five minutes. Just put a time limit to it. And then after that, just get off your butt and do it, you know, because everybody does things scared. Yeah. It's just because people do stuff that you think are completely brave doesn't mean that they were not scared. It's just that they were scared and they did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just it's just do it and just do it anyway. You know, you can do it scared or you can do it brave, but just do it anyway. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I feel so empowered. I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, what's the next thing I should do? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know, there's a little bit of luck in that. I, I'm I'm sure you know that it, it can't be just all me, right? If you right. believe in the divine force that, that guides you along the way, if you believe in the people that were put in your path to kind of nudge you along the way. Um, yeah, I, I owe all of that to the people who have believed in me before I believed in myself. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I try to put in my work as an educator, because I know how difficult it can be to try to get to know yourself when you're 17, 18, 19. You're not sure who you are, what you are. So if you're a little shaky about who you are. Well, let me believe in you on your behalf. And then when you're yeah. strong enough, even yourself, I'll let you fly. You fly. You know, that's happy so to nice. <laughs> well you know a lot of people helped me along the way to get to to get me to this point in my life so that's that's the least I could do to pay it forward that's perfect so being in the public eye can be challenging especially when you have so many young people like you said looking up to you so how do you maintain a healthy brand image to your followers oh gosh I honestly do not have a playbook um I'm bumbling through, you know, I just have the benefit of age and some life experience compared to you guys, you know, at your age. Um, you guys were born with social media. I wasn't, you know, so I had a completely separate life before that came to town. And I think that sort of helped us, people of my, my age group anyway, my peers, to, to have um, a different set of, of uh, code of conduct or, you know, set of moral compass that may be slightly different. Uh, it's easier for us to dissociate our identity from what social media knows to be. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows social media is, is filtered, right? I mean, it's curated. Yeah. Nobody knows every single ugly what of their lives, right? Yeah. Um, so you the take highlights real, essentially. Exactly. You pick and choose, right? Um, so if we, if we all know that, I think would be much better, uh, you know, in, in appreciating what it is, right? It's that, yeah. that saying social media isn't good, isn't bad. It's just what it is. You just got to take it like money, you know? Money's not good, not bad. You just make of it what you make of it. So yeah. the same thing with social media. Um, I think when, when I got into social media, I was already, you know, an adult. So I think it was easier to sort of step into that and know that my self-worth is not measured by how many likes or how many followers right. uh, so the way I validate my existence is is really offline you know it's yeah. through when my girls look at me and and they go okay mom's working hard or you know when my husband gives me a pat on the back and say good job babe you know it's stuff like that right mm -hmm. um so I think that's important to remember that you have a separate identity away from social media you are your own person you have your own voice um, the scary thing now is you guys face things like the cancel culture and gaslighting and all of that, right? 
um, maybe I'm just too old for that, that people don't, you know, me for that. I don't know. Um, but I try, I try to use social media uh, as, as a way to highlight what's good because whatever you, whatever you focus on amplifies. Mm-hmm. So it's important to choose your words and it's important to choose your message and everybody has a choice. I can whine, of course I whine. You know, when I'm exhausted, I whine. I, when I'm frustrated, I get impatient, I get angry, just like everyone else. But it's a choice whether or not I want to let it out and vent uh, on social media where I could regret it the next day. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's a pick and choose your battles online, I think. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And sometimes when you're in doubt, I'd say don't post. When you're angry, don't post. Yep. When yep. you're not sure, don't post. Yeah. Sit on it for a while. I think that's very good advice. (laughs) So are there any new projects that you're working on that you're looking forward to? Ah, Well, I have said no to a lot of things lately because I just uh, recovered from COVID. And I think you know this. It it hit me during, um, just before Ramadan hit me. Oh no. So I almost half of the fasting month being in COVID and it was it was tough, you know, being in quarantine and then not being able to 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 prepare uh, food for my my family and break fast with them. Um so it was it was I was on an enforced retreat, if I may, (laughs) isolated retreat, uh, which is, you know, part of what uh, fasting is about also. It's about looking inward and and doing a lot of self-reflection, right? Uh, yeah, so I, I had that, and I had lingering asthma after that, which is why I thought, okay, my stamina wasn't where I needed it to be to mm-hmm. have the what my mom calls the itchy backside that I yeah. always have to do stuff. Uh, so I thought, okay, let, let's let's not take on new projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've said no to a couple of things, um, and now I'm kind of paying for the period that I was sick. Uh, I'm so behind work. It is just not funny. Oh, playing catch up at this point must be tough. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm with week three into the new semester and I'm still playing catch up. Mm. So I, I'll, I'll sit on it for a while. Um, I also know that I, I want to think through what I want my next projects to be. Uh, my last project was as a hawker on 128 Circle as mm-hmm. Aisha. Uh, she was a hawker selling mirabos, and this was season two, uh, which showcased what life was like at the start of COVID. And I thought that was a very important piece to to put out to to Singaporeans or to the world, you know, uh, as it were, because it's on me watch, right? And I think it's a an important thing to document in our social history, mm-hmm. even though the series is fictional. One to eight circle does not exist as a food center but the stories of the hawkers are people we recognize you know the the Malay family that sells mirabos the Indian family that sells roti prata the the kopi uncle these are people we recognize and I thought it was an important um, piece of work to reflect the confusion the the tough times the frustration all of that um, during COVID. So I was very proud of that piece. But I think now, now especially now that we're coming out of COVID, life is opening up again. I'm recalibrating. I'm, I'm looking to see what are the roles I want to try out. Nice. I want it to be different from Aisha. Uh, and cool. Aisha, so, you know, a, a choice that I made intentionally because I wanted to step away from the typical professionals that I used to play. Uh, people used to cast me in 
uh, roles like a police officer. I was superintendent, uh, Audrey So in court of law, mm-hmm. and those forensics. So that's like five, six seasons of that. And then uh, I, I played lawyers. People think I could play, you know, professionals. So I wanted to try something very different. So a hawker came along, and that was the role I had to audition because I think the people that uh, the production house where you films that did um, code of law, they knew what I could do as a like a professional role, right. but yeah. they didn't know what I, they didn't know if I could carry a you know a hawker role, which is you know so different, right? Yeah. Uh, so I had to audition for that part, you know. Wow. And, and, yeah, it wasn't, you know, just give it, given to me so easily. I had to work for it. Uh, and I was happy to do it. Uh, that, like improves your range as an actress, your versatility. And I think that's really cool. You always want to do something a bit different with yeah. your, your acting repertoire because it's very easy to get typecast and it's, it gets stale if you play the same, the similar kind of characters, I find then it's no longer fun. And the whole point of acting is to, to be able to step into the shoes of someone completely different from you in everyday life, right? right? If not, then what's the point? What's the point? Right? Yeah. What, like, should I play a teacher? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it wouldn't be that challenging, I guess. Well, I suppose if the teacher's character is quite different, like maybe she's a psycho teacher or whatever, maybe, you know. Um, but I want to, yeah, I want to try something that scares me. Right. If not, then what's the point? Amazing. Usually on this podcast, with every episode, I always close off with the same two questions. But in your case, because I know you personally, I tweaked your question a little bit. So the question we usually ask is, what is your notion of look good, feel good? But I do remember that when I was 17 years old, and I came into your lecture, you told every student, that they should always dress like they were ready for a job interview at any time. And honestly, those words really stuck with me throughout the years. And I realized that the clothes I chose to wear, I started to adopt this more, you know, office type of um, older look. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence because I'm a really tiny girl. So I wanted to be taken seriously. So I started dressing in blazers and, you know, boots every time I got to school. And my friends were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Miss Sharon said, if I continue this, I'm going to keep, I'm going to get a job. And they were like, all right, okay. But I think (laughs) that really did help me because I got a job straight out of poly. And then in university, I got my jobs through my poly life. So I think that really bode well for me. So I wanted to ask you, where did you learn that piece of advice? And would you still pass it on to your students today? Absolutely. You know, dressing the part gives you confidence, as you rightly put, right? It gives you this lift, even when you're not feeling so hot, you could fool yourself into thinking, yeah, I'm ready. Game on. Come on, bring it right um and you know but for you honestly I don't know whether it was really the clothes that helped you because you were already articulate you were confident you were likable I mean seriously it it was it would be very hard to not get a job if I were you Karisha thank you you know so so if the dressing made you feel even more confident yay yeah yeah I just think you you have it already go so that was icing on the cake um but I do feel that first impressions last very um sometimes last 
lot longer than you think they last, you know, and you never know who's going to look at you. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, I pro I'm thinking at that time, I was probably still internship manager as well. Yes. When I said that to you. <laughs> yeah. And that's also directly a feedback from industry, you know, the me media industry partners that we had on as companies that would take you guys on as interns yeah. would sometimes give us feedback to say, hey, you know, your, your kids are really good. We love them, the way they work, their work ethic, uh, the things they know, they're well-trained, but we just got to give you this slight little thing, you know. When we want to bring them out to meet clients because we think they're ready and we trust them, they don't look the part. And I can't bring them out in good conscience with, you know, a client that pays us a lot of money with someone who looks like they still belong to school and somebody needs to clean them up. And, and I go, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. I understand. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to pass that on to you guys as well, because you just never know where it's going to take you. And people do take you seriously when they, they see you, right? Yeah. Uh, never really had a problem. She was never a bad dresser anyway, listeners. I, I don't know what she made me think, but this girl <laughs> is on her own. So without my help, she was fine. Uh, <laughs> But I just think that that's something we need, especially in the media industry, right. because right. appearances matter. Yeah. And tons of people who are doing production, they may not be very um, particular about how they dress because they're on set a lot and behind the scenes a lot. But I do have to nudge them once in a while to say that may not be the only role that they're going to play for the rest of their lives, because even if they are, let's say, you know, an audio sound technician, when they go out there eventually they might be starting their own company you know their audio tech company and they'll be ceo yeah so then what happens so you gotta roll you gotta know how to roll switch yeah it's for the role on production sets but if you're a business owner dress for the role for that too so that people take you credibly yeah i think people forget that you know how you carry yourself can be really part of doing your job well Mm -hmm. So I, exactly. I, I just really want to thank you for that piece of advice, because I think it's really helped me throughout the years. And I remember that class distinctly. I remember you walked into class and I was sitting next to my best friend, Cheyenne. Um, and after class, I looked at her and I was like, I want to be like her. She was <laughs> so cool. She was like a boss lady. She came in, she gave like the best class. I was like, I, I aspire to be like that confident and that like sure of myself and you really did teach me so much and I, I really owe so much to you so really thank oh, you so much for that bless you I've got goosebumps listening to you oh. now oh. all right last question this okay. one should be rather simple so how would you advise women to show themselves more self-love mm. don't apologize for being who you are be proud of you who you are you know we come with um whatever we have we look different we sound different we're different heights we dress different we we're just very unique individuals who don't need to apologize for who we are um sometimes we'll make us feel like we do um but i also have to say hang in there because it gets better with age you get a little bit less apologetic about being who you are. I forget what it's like. I think it's the first time I'm having a, a freshman class this year after a few years. I forget what it's like when you guys were 17 and now I'm seeing it all over again. It's the same 
um, is the same, how should I say this? The tentativeness about, about, about their own identity, you know, even when I ask them, so what are your strengths? And they go like, I think it's like, mm, like this, I'm sort of, you know, they're half apologetic about what they are good at and not so good at. And it's, it's charming to see, but I would love to see how they grow into their power as, as they discover more of life. So for women, especially. Yeah. That's perfect. Thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. It's been so nice. And every single time you, you have a way of inspiring me. So thank you so much. And thank you for your time. Gosh, pleasure is all mine. And you inspire me too, Carisha. Aww. <laughs> And to you listening, thank you for tuning in to Girl Source Chat. We hope that you can draw from Sharon's story and find inspiration to be unapologetically yourself and not shy away from the power you have within you to be an ambitious force of nature. With that being said, be sure to check out our website, www.girlsource.com, and subscribe to our podcast for more episodes. Lastly, follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. This is your host, Carisha, and you've been listening to Girl Source Chat. Until then, take care and have a beautiful day ahead.